Welcome to Gateway Church's Sermon of the Week, where our goal is to equip the believer to do the work of the ministry. This week, our associate pastor, Ephraim Monahan, aka me, is preaching. Um, so we hope you enjoy this message from the associate pastor here at Gateway Church, Pastor Ephraim Monahan. Hello, Gateway Church. If you're out in the foyer, make, make your way back in. We're about to get going. And so, if you guys just like to, you know, share my life a little bit, there's some big news that happened since I was last up here. I'm not sure if you guys know, but I got engaged. Um, I don't know if you got that picture up there. Uh, yeah, we got engaged, went to, went to New York City, and I proposed to her on the Brooklyn Bridge. It was, it was nice. The whole entire time, though, because... We got a dinner reservation at was it Sassoni's. It was like an Italian restaurant right on the river. Really nice. Um, you know, try to get as nice as I can, you know, if I'm going to engage to her. You know, just got to make sure she says yes. Um, and so, you know, by the time it was a date, uh, it was a late uh, dinner reservation. And so by the time that we, um, you know, were done with our dinner, it was already like 11 something. It was like 1130. And it was getting chilly. And I know I gave her my jacket, and we're walking to the Brooklyn Bridge, and she's just like, can't we just go? Can't we just go back? Can't we just go home? And I was just like, no, I really want to see the Brooklyn Bridge. Like, I really want to see the Brooklyn Bridge. You know, it's just, if there's one thing I want to see in New York, it's this Brooklyn Bridge, and if I don't see it, you will not hear the last of it. Um, but, we, you know, we got to the walk to the Brooklyn Bridge, and it was, it was a nice moment. It was really sweet, and... She said yes, so that's what matters, right? <laughs> uh, but, you know, you always got to get a nice dinner before. I know I always like striking up conversation with, with the waiters, especially because I actually used to be um, a waiter a while back. Um, it was actually me and my brother Daniel would, um, were working at a restaurant, and, you know, I, I would cook with them, but then, you know, I was doing that part-time, and I was like, you know what? I also want to serve part-time, you know, going through college, trying to make as much as I can to pay off all the bills and whatever. And so I'm also like, you know, a waiter, I'm a server. And there's a couple like things that you learn about being a waiter that I just think are funny. And like, when I talk to other waiters, they're like, oh yeah, we do that all the time. And usually what, what it is, is each restaurant will have like a name that they just blame everything on. And they don't even have to work there. It'll just be like Sarah or Jennifer or, you know, Zachary. And so for instance, you know, Let's say we, we sit down at a table and we forget about them for like 10 minutes and we didn't get them drinks or whatever and we're just like, oh no, who's got that table over there? And we're like, oh, I don't know. And so we'll walk up to the table and be like, has Zachary not got to you yet? Oh, you know what? I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. I'll get you drinks. Oh, it'll be great. Or, you know, you know we'll forget to run food and be like, oh no, this food's been sitting here for like five minutes. Well, let, me, let me stop by the table. Have you not gotten your food yet? Oh, let me talk to Jennifer. I'll get that out right away for you. And, you know, you just have these names that you just, like, I don't want to say blame everything on, but kind of just blame everything on. And, you know, but they don't exist, so it's ethical. Um, <laughs> that's bad. Um, but there was, there was this one morning. It was a Saturday morning. Um, and usually every single Saturday morning when I'm serving on the floor, there's usually, you know, Two waiters all together, me and someone else. Um, and so this was like just 
got this day just got busy out of nowhere. Like normally we're not too crazy busy, so two waiters will just like handle it fine. But it was like me and my 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 other friend, and people just start piling in. You know, around when it hit noon, just people start piling in like crazy. We just got two servers and stuff. And, you know, everyone's saying, "Yeah, the food's great. Yeah, the food's great. It's awesome." Blah blah blah. And we're trying to get them get them out of there and seat more people. And it's just it's just chaos. But this one couple walks in, and you know, they, they, they look, they, we, we seat them, and I'm like, okay, I'll sit them over there, and, and you know, then my, my other waiter that I'm working with, he'll go and he'll wait on them. But I tell him, okay, that table is yours. He's like, okay, cool, but he's like crazy busy. And then this couple are like, you know what? This table is right by the AC, and it's a little chilly. I'm going to move to the other side of the restaurant. And so they move to the complete other side. My friend completely forgets about them. And so they're sitting there for like, you know, 15 minutes and, and they're not getting any, any service. And, you know, my friend tried the whole, has Zachary not gotten to you yet? But it didn't work at all. Um, so, <laughs> and so they were like upset, you know, it was a busy day. We end up getting them their food and, you know, they say the food's great, but then, you know, it's busy and it's slow to get things. And as they were walking out, they're like, food was great. But the service was bad, and I don't think we're ever coming back. And so that, you know, that's hard to hear. So they may enjoy the food, but if you had bad service, they're never coming back. And it can be the same way with us as Christians, how we represent Christ. The meat, the food could be really good. But if how we represent Christ, the service is bad, people are never coming back. We could have the best songs in our worship. We could have the best theology inside our sermons. We could even see the most amazing miracles happen. But if we aren't representing Christ well, people aren't coming back. But thankfully, we have someone to help guide us and help guide us to be like Christ. And that's the Holy Spirit. More specifically, it's by us walking inside the fruits of the Spirit, which... The fruits of the Spirit is simply just carrying the characteristics of Christ. Those fruits of the Spirit, the fruits of being around someone so much you start to become like them. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but if you get a new friend and you're really close with them or, or you start hanging out with someone a, a lot more, you start acting like them. You know, if they're really funny, you start cracking a couple more jokes. Or if they're really nice to the waiters, you're just, oh, I'll be nice to the waiters too. You start acting like them. And that's how it is with the fruits of the Spirit is the more we start hanging out with the Lord, the more that we start spending intentional time in his presence, stewarding the spirit, we start to become more and more like him. And so how I like to think about it, the fruits of the spirit is partnering with the character of Christ, while the gifts of the spirit is partnering with the power of Christ. Both are very good, but we should always start with the fruits. Because not everyone inside your life is going to get to see the power of Christ through giftings. Not everyone inside your life that you pass is going to get to see a miracle happen or a prophecy occur or a word of knowledge hit them and be like, whoa. Like, that happens. It happens a lot. But it's not, not everyone that you encounter is going to get to witness that. I'm just going to tell you now. But you know what everyone is going to get to witness being around you? is your fruit. It's how you act how you love, how you represent peace, 
in joy and kindness, in patience to people who might not even deserve it. These are all things that everyone that you encounter will get to see. So that means you get to evangelize to literally everyone you're around just by acting inside the fruits. So we should always pursue the fruits first. And we should pursue Jesus above all things. And I feel like when we, when we pursue the Lord, the fruits come out of that. And so if we're valuing fruits, we're valuing relationship with God. And so by that, if we're valuing the fruits, if we're trying to be more and more like Christ, if we're trying to have a deeper and deeper relationship with the Lord, that can lead us, in, lead us into salvation at first, but also keep us in step, keep us in line. Because that can help us walk inside, um, help with the foundation of God being in the center of our hearts. Because the giftings don't actually do that. The giftings, if we, if we pursue the giftings, we might not see us walking more and more and more and more in step with the Father. Matthew 7, verse 21 actually tells us about this. That even if you're performing many miracles, that can't be your identity, that can't be your salvation. Because the giftings are simply by asking the Lord, not by being, having the right theology or saying the prayers or, or doing the right things. It's simply by asking the Father whether you're, you're staying in, in step with the scriptures or not. Matthew 7, verses 21 uh, through 23 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This should be convicting. <laughs> if we're like, oh, if, if, as long as I'm still seeing prophecy in my life, God still must, I, I still must be walking in step with him. As long as I'm seeing a word of knowledge in my life, I still must have this, um, I, might be, I must be walking in step with the Father. But it tells us right here that it's not determined on our works that gets us salvation. Paul talks about this all the time. It's not our works, but it's by grace. And so the gifts are amazing. I'm not talking against the gifts. I'm just trying to nail how important it is that we walk in the fruit, that we walk in the character of Christ. Because gifts are amazing, but they are not even for us. Gifts are for the people around us. I mean, you don't, get it. You don't buy a gift and keep it for yourself. You, you buy a gift and you give it to someone. In the same way, when we're casting, if, we're, if we're casting out demons, if we're healing the sick, it's not for our own identity or salvation or, or whatever it is, but it's for that person to encounter Christ. Because therefore, giftings cannot be our salvation. They cannot be our identity. Gifts are for people around us. We actually see in Scripture a man who performed many, many miracles. He um, cast out demons. He healed the sick. He raised the dead, but he did not carry the character of Christ. And that stepped inside the way of his salvation. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, it says that Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. So these are the names of the 12 disciples. We have Simon, who's called Peter. We have Andrew. We have James. We have his brother John. We have Philip, Bartholomew. We have Thomas. We have Matthew. We have James. We have um, Thaddeus. 
we have Simon, and then we have Judas Iscariot. And in verse 5, it says, These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, so freely give. So Jesus commanded all 12 disciples to go out and do these things. And they all came back, proclaiming that there are signs and there are wonders. And it's like, what authority do we have? This is amazing. You guys want to know who was mentioned on the, one of those 12? Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus. So Judas Iscariot, he performed all those miracles, and he witnessed so many people probably just be like, whoa, this is amazing. Who is it that, that you follow? Or what power is this? And they get to witness to them. But Judas did not carry the character of Christ. And I would even argue inside this moment of performing miracles, he didn't. And it wasn't just something that automatically hit him at one day because it was something that was building and building and building. In John 12, chapter 12, verse 4, and this is in context of uh, Mary who broke the jar of perfume and anointed Jesus. And in verse 4 it says, But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. And he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So Judas was the treasurer, but the whole entire time that, I don't want to say the whole entire time, but at least most of the time that he was with Jesus, he was in charge of the money, but he had greed overtake him. He wasn't walking inside the character of Christ because he was stealing from the treasury every single time. He would help himself to what was inside the money bags. We know that he walked inside the giftings, but he didn't walk inside the character. He compromised his character to allow greed to overtake him, first in the money bags, then to sell out his Messiah and his closest friend. But a compromise of character does not just get in the way of our salvation, because a lot of times you can just be like, okay, as long as I have my character, I can, I can, I can walk inside my salvation. But we actually have to think about when we walk in character, or if we're not walking inside the character of Christ, or if we're not walking in the fruits, that can get in the way of someone else's salvation. And to me, that's a lot scarier. It's really scary. Just think about it. If you represent Christ inside a way that is not edifying, it can be detrimental to someone's salvation because you represent Christ as a Christ follower, as a Christian. And so the difference in how we represent Christ can be the difference between someone saying, I don't know what makes this person so loving and kind, but I want to know the Jesus that they know. I want to see what's behind it. And the difference in us not walking in character by saying we're Christians, yet judging or slandering or gossiping can be someone saying, a, a person that's not a believer can be them saying, if that's what Christianity is like, then I don't want it. And I don't want to ever walk inside that. I don't want to ever walk inside character that, that makes people not want to be a Christian. But a big place that we see this is actually inside the church through judging others. Loving them, um, 
if we judge someone, it's, if we're judging someone, we're trying to take the job of the Holy Spirit. And I'll talk about this inside a bit. Because we're called to, we're not called to judge, but we're called to love others. Love them and, and show them kindness that will lead to repentance. That's how scripture tells us. We can actually see what scripture tells us about judgment here in Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same. You, um, same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, passes judgment on them and yet does the same thing, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? And so we can look at this verse and just be like, who's Paul talking to? He's probably just talking to some people in the church that, you know, maybe messed up a couple times and we're supposed to still love them and not judge them. But maybe those people outside that are, that are just completely slandering the Lord or those, those people that might, know, that might know about the goodness of God but still deny him, or those that live their life devoted to a sinful nature, or to live in a lifestyle that is not edifying of the Lord. Those people I'm sure I'm allowed to judge. But if we look at the context of this chapter, because this is chapter 2, verse 1, it's telling us not to judge, but if we back up to Romans chapter 1, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the context of this is actually talking about those who know Christ but deny him, those who curse the Lord, those who are considered God-haters, those who are sexual immoral, or those who are sexual immoral, those who are even, it says, giving up their natural desires to lay with the same sex. So those who live in a homosexual lifestyle. He's addressing, these are the people that I'm talking about, and you're still never called to judge them. This is the context that we're talking about. Because Scripture tells us, and it's very clear that it's not our job to judge, but it is the job of the Holy Spirit. And so in John 16, verse 8, it tells us, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, or the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And in verse 8, it says, When he comes, the Holy Spirit... He will prove the world to be in wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. And so it tells us, okay, God's the judge. Okay, conviction through the Holy Spirit, and, he, and he's the judge. He's the one true judge. And same in James 4, 12, it says that there is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? And here's where I think the church can get things confused. It's, they confuse having, adopting the character with Christ, which taking on the job, of, or uh, adopting the characteristics of Christ rather than taking on the jobs of God. Because we are supposed to adopt his character. We're supposed to walk in his fruits. But how dare we try to take his job? Because he tells us there's only one judge, and he's the one judge. He's the one lawgiver. So how are we supposed to say, oh, I can judge someone because they're not doing what's here in Scripture. I'm helping God out. Let me just put this into perspective, okay? So let's say I am, like, really close with the judge of 
Richmond or the, the courthouse. I'm like really close with this guy. And let's say he's a really funny guy and he's really kind and all this stuff. And I'm hanging out with this judge all the time. Let's say that I know him so well that I start to become more funny like him. I start adopting his characteristics. It's like, he's a really funny guy. Start cracking some of the same jokes. And maybe I'm really nice to these people because he's just really nice to even strangers. And I just start adopting that. And that's great. That's great that I want to be, you know, be a little bit more funny and approachable. And I want to be more kind to others, even strangers. That's great. But if I walk into the courthouse and I step into the room, to the courtroom, and I point to the guy on trial and I say, hey, I know the judge. I'm sentencing you to 10 years in prison. Not only is that not appropriate, but it's very illegal. (laughs) So... In the same way, no matter how close I am with the Lord, no matter how well I'm stewarding his fruits, no matter how well I'm walking inside what he's given me and adopting his characteristics, it is never my job to judge. And it's, it's wrong. And it's illegal. It's never appropriate for me to judge others. For us to judge is like taking the designated and sacred job of God. That should be convicting. If I'm trying to take the Holy Spirit's job, if I'm trying to take the job of someone so holy, the creator of the universe, I'm going to be in trouble. (laughs) And as we should. So how are we supposed to go about this then? We can't judge others, even if they're living, you know, just out of the context of Romans 1, going to Romans 2, talked about not even if they're slandering God, not even if they're God-haters, not even if they're sexually immoral, not even if they're homosexuals, none of those things, does it still say that we're allowed to judge them? So how are we supposed to react to people like this? So instead of judging them, Scripture tells us that we're supposed to love them. We're supposed to show them kindness. A fruit of the Spirit is kindness. All right? And by showing them that kindness, that's God's kindness that we get to represent, it leads them to repentance. And when we lead someone, when we lead someone and show them love, and we show them all this kindness, we actually invite the Holy Spirit into their lives. And if these are people who are God-haters, if these are people that, that deny Christ and live in sin, I'm sure they numb themselves to the very convictions of the Holy Spirit. So when they sin, they don't feel conviction anymore because they've numbed themselves to it. They're like, I don't know what this feeling is, but I'm accepting myself for who I am and this is who I am. And they numb themselves to the convictions of the Holy Spirit. But when we love them and show them kindness, fruits of the Holy Spirit, what does that do? It re-invites the Holy Spirit back into their heart. And when you re-invite the Holy Spirit back into their heart, He does the convicting. Because it's not our job. It's not our job to judge, but we introduce him to, or him or her to the one who is supposed to. And so this can look like a lot of different things, like in just inviting them to church, praying for them, all of these things, but we'll get more into that inside a minute. But the biggest thing about this is it's like thinking that we can introduce people to God better than he can introduce himself to them. 
That's actually what my fiance always says. Something she says all the time is that God does a much better job at introducing himself to people than we ever could. And it is so true. It is so true. But when we try to judge, when we try to take the role of God and be the judge, we're misrepresenting Christ. Think about that. We're misrepresenting Christ. We're being, we're spreading a false gospel. We're being wolves in sheep clothing if we are judging, if we're trying to take the role of God and judge others. And this should be something that convicts our hearts. And it's the place where you can get in the way of someone's salvation. Because when you judge someone, and as a Christian, when you represent Christ, and you judge someone, and you hate on someone, and you say all these things, this is where church hurt is created. This is the biggest cause of church hurt. Because when you tell someone, when you judge someone, they, when you say you're a Christian, you say, God says, if you do this, you're going to hell. And if you do this, you're, you're going to get this, and this is a sin, and you should be ashamed of yourself, and all this stuff. If that's the Jesus that we're representing to them, they're not going to want Jesus. They say, if this is how you treat me and you're representing Christ, why should I want that? I don't want to act like you. I don't want to step into a room and start judging everyone. So why should I, have, why should I do that? And it breaks my heart. Because every single person, or I don't want to say every single person, but the majority of the people that I've encountered, that I've talked to, that have church hurt, or that deny Christ, it's not even from a sense of, well, I just looked into it and it just doesn't make sense. Or, oh, I just read all of the scripture and, you know, it just didn't convict my heart. Or, you know, it just, I just couldn't find the evidence for it. These can be excuses, but they're not the reason. Because every single person, almost every single atheist that I've talked to, every single person that is agnostic that I talk to, it's not even that there's a lack of evidence because there's a lot of evidence. It's not that there's a lack of, of conviction because I'm sure there's a lot of conviction. But it's because of those who misrepresented Christ as Christians. They'll talk about all the time, well, I'm just not a Christian because I went to church when I was young and I actually saw an angel, but then the pastor told me I was a liar and I was insane. And so I just, I just can't be around there anymore. Or even, well, yeah, I, I, I love the Lord, and I think I, think, I think I believe in Jesus, actually, but I have homosexual desires, and when I talked to my pastor about it, he said I was going to hell. So why would I go there? And it breaks my heart because these are people that are misrepresenting Christ to the point of pulling people away from salvation. It breaks my heart. So when we judge others, we are actually trying to put ourselves above them. When we judge, we are acting in pride. And what pride says is not, well, as long as I'm doing this, or as long as I'm walking in step this much. But pride isn't concerned with how well you're doing. Pride is only concerned with how much better you're doing than the other person. So as long as you're living better than the lowest of low, that pride will seep up and will tell you, you can judge them. You can do it. Come on, judge them but it doesn't represent Christ. And it's very, very hypocritical because the fact is that the less likely that we feel we would fall into the same sin is the more likely, or 
the more likely that we, or the less likely we feel like we're going to fall into that sin that they're committing, the more likely we're going to judge. So what does that mean? So for instance, if someone is struggling with gossip, who here has caught themselves gossiping? I think every single hand should be raised because we catch ourselves gossiping. We're like, oh, I shouldn't be talking about this person behind their back. And so if someone walks up to you, let's say inside the church or even outside the church, and they say, you know what? Say they walk up to Kim again. You know what, Kim? I found myself gossiping, and, and you know, it's, it's, been, it's been a huge struggle for me, and I'm just trying to walk in holiness. Kim would be like, well, we all fall into that sometimes. We all fall into gossip sometimes, so... I understand, and Kim will show sympathy and just be like, hey, can I help you out of this? Can I be in prayer for you? How can I love you? How can I help you get out of this? Can we stay accountable with one another? And all these things and just be so loving and just be like, oh, it's all right. We all are there. Let, let me help you out of it. Or let's say if, you know, a guy approaches another, another guy and says, hey, I'm really struggling with watching pornography, and I really want to stop watching pornography because I know it doesn't edify the Lord and it doesn't even edify myself. And I really want to stop watching pornography. The guy would be like, who is being approached to be like, well, I know that is, that is a temptation that can try to sneak its way into my life. And I understand that there's struggle there. So I'm going to show you sympathy and I'm going to show you love. And it's not because one sin is greater than another. But it's because we can, we can relate. And we can say, well, I get it, so I'm going to love them. Or, uh, I get it, so... I'm going to help them out of this. I'm going to sympathize with them. But the second that someone walks in and says, hey, I'm having same-sex desires and I don't know how to, how to handle it, or I just don't feel like I'm actually a girl and I want to become a man, or they say these things and, and we think to ourselves, you know, because I mean, I'm sure most of us here have like heterosexual desires. If a homosexual walked up to us, we'd be like, I could never see myself having homosexual desires in a million years, so what you are doing must be wrong, and that must allow me to judge you. That's how our minds work. And it's simply, and it's not even because one sin is greater than another, because all sin equally convicts us to hell, not under the grace of God. Because by our own works, we can't save ourselves. I'm not saying that all sin has the same outcome, because we, know, we all know there's a difference in the outcomes of murder and telling a lie. But what I'm, tell, what I'm saying is sin equally convicts us to hell outside of the grace of God. So who are we to judge? And so when someone walks up to us and they say any number of sins that they want to walk out of, hallelujah, let me love you, let me be kind to you, let me help you walk through this, let me do everything that I can, no matter if I could see myself falling into that same sin or not. Because at that point, it's selfish. It's not loving, it's selfish. It's saying, well, maybe if I help them out, I'll be less likely to fall into it. But we need to help and love everyone. And we should never allow the devil to, um, to try to allow us to warrant judgment for others. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, it warns us. It says, do not judge or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, you will be, it will be measured against you. So why do you look at the speck of sawdust inside your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye 
when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. Verse 5, this says, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. And this is something that we can do through stewarding and loving someone by taking the speck out inside their eye. Because a lot of times, like I was just saying before, we start to think, well, if I'm less likely to do it, it must be a lot worse of a sin. But we are supposed to love them and we're supposed to first inspect ourselves. And if we inspect ourselves and we see, oh, this is good, and I, I think I can see clearly I'm steering myself with Scripture, I can help this person walk out of their sinful nature. Or I can help walk this person out of their sinful desire inside this way. Let's see. Lost my place. Sorry. So, so we'll talk about discipleship. I feel like we're supposed to talk about that. And so this is where we are actually called, we are warranted to actually go and to call out sin inside someone's life. We're actually called to help guide someone into seeking holiness. But it's not in a judgmental way, it's in a loving way. So if you're thinking, how am I supposed to, how am I supposed to tell this person about their sin? You walk, walked, you know, you, you, you're talking to someone on the street and you see maybe they have, you know, or maybe they're outside of an abortion clinic and they're, they're walking out of an abortion clinic or maybe they are wearing, you know, a, a pride shirt and a pride flag and you're like, oh, I think they're, they're homosexual. How, how am I supposed to talk to this person about their sin? How am I supposed to? How am I supposed to warn this person? Because I know that's, we try to be nice inside that. It's like, well, I just want to love this person and love them, love them and, and, and make sure that they know their sin. Well, how do we do that? Well, let me tell you the way that we're supposed to do that isn't holding up picket signs saying, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. Because that's the reason why a lot of people have church and they don't want to come to church. It's because the people who are representing Christ are saying, you're going to hell, so why would they want to go to that club? <laughs> that's all I'm saying. But how are we supposed to approach that? I mean, first off, I love what Harold's doing with courtside ministry. They're just setting up a table and saying, hey, do you need prayer? And people will approach him and just be like, hey, I do need prayer for this. I do need this. Or I do need this thing. And it's not, it's, it's not a way that they're condemning, but it's just a way of like people coming to them broken and saying, hey, I need help with this. Or, hey, I'm going through this. And it's a way that, that we can love people that are going through those things. But the biggest way, especially if we're not trying to if we're just trying to talk to anyone on the street, first, got to make sure we inspect ourselves. Okay, like, how's my heart? Am I in a place right now where I can love someone and not, like, let judgment lash out on them? And then from there, let's say if you approach someone who is walking out of an abortion clinic or someone who, has, who is living in a homosexual lifestyle, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to love them. What we talked about earlier is that we show them love and kindness, which is, Reinvites the Holy Spirit into their heart, and the Holy Spirit will lead them to conviction and then to repentance. Because it's God's kindness that leads others to repentance. That's why it's there. And so we can talk to this person. We can say, Hey, I just want to let you know that Jesus loves you. Do you know about Jesus? And they might be like, I don't know, whatever. You can lead them to salvation. You can tell them about Jesus. You can tell them how much Jesus loves them. And they'll be like, Whoa, this is awesome. And then from there, you can be like, hey, if you want to give your life to the Lord, I can lead you through that. 
And then, they can lead them, and then you can lead them to the Lord. You can invite them to church. And at that point, they might see you as someone who's like, wow, I love how this person represents Christ and I look up to them. And hopefully you are representing Christ. And by doing those things, that represents Christ really well. And then from there, guess what you can do? You can approach them and say, hey, I want to see you flourish inside what the Lord has for you. I want to help, help walk you through studying your scripture and knowing what the Bible says. I want to help you understand what, what convictions you should walk in. I want to help you walk in righteousness. And I want you to walk inside a way that you ought to live. Can I disciple you? Can I mentor you? And they'll be like, one of two things. They'll be like, no, get away from me. And then you can just be like, oh, they're not ready. Or they'll be like, yeah, let's do it. And you can sit down. You can, you can mentor them. You can love them. And you can say, hey, you know I love you. And inside the lo- most loving way possible, this right here it does not edify God, and you need to work on that. And you can call out sins in their lives because they placed you in a place of authority over them. You're not judging them. You're not saying, how dare you? I could never. But you're just simply being like, hey, I love you, and I want to see you flourish. This is what Scripture says. Let me help you. And that's a way that we can guide them to righteousness, to salvation. Because if we approach someone and we just say, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, it's not going to work out. It's not going to work out one bit. And so those are different ways that we are actually called in how to guide people and love people and lead them to righteousness. The first way, of course, is if you are a mentor or a disciple to them. If you're in a place of authority over them, especially spiritually, you're supposed to call out those things, especially if they expect you to. Another thing is if you are a pastor above them. If you're like, like for instance, if I'm a pastor inside the youth group and some kid's saying like, hey, I've been doing this, 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 and this, since I'm in a place of authority above them, I should approach them and be like, hey, I love you. You know I love you. That's not going to, that's not going to steward the Lord well. That's going to lead down a path that you don't want to go down. And so I want to help you through that. And another way, of course, is by being a parent. If your kid's still living in the house, still under the age of 18, you're called to love them and you're called to raise them up in the way that they ought to live. Proverbs 22.6. And that can look like saying, hey, I notice you've been doing this. I want to sit down and talk with you and help you out. You've been struggling with partying and all this stuff. Let me help you out. Let's do this instead. Because that doesn't edify the Lord and that doesn't edify yourself. So there are ways that we're supposed to call out sin, but we are never called to judge. And when we call out sin, we need to do it inside a way that can be loving. And if someone doesn't even know that we love them, how are they supposed to know that it's loving? Because all they're hearing is what they're doing is wrong. And so if you're approaching a stranger and saying, hey, don't do that, how can that be loving? It can't. But if they know that you love them, And if they want you to to speak life into them, awesome. That's where you have the green flag. Go in, say, hey, this is something that you need to work on. This is something you need to work on. I want to see you flourish. But I never want to see us walking out in the streets and condemning people and judging people. Because not only is that not biblical, but it's literally taking away the job of God. And that should scare us. That should scare us because we're no better than them at that point. Because to the same measure that we judge others, we'll be judged. It doesn't matter. We don't, have, we don't have any warrant to judge others. And we do this by walking inside the fruits. By representing Christ well, loving people well, and loving them in a way that shows them the kindness of Christ. Opens their heart to the Holy Spirit. 
and allows the Holy Spirit to convict them. Because we should never warrant sin inside our lives, and we never want to see someone walking inside sin in their life, so that's where we introduce them to the Lord, not to ourselves, because we don't do a good job at representing Christ a lot of the times, especially if we're trying to weaponize Scripture. It was actually, well, it was one time when me and my fiance were evangelizing. It was actually just like two weeks ago. They were evangelizing to this guy named Kevin. And he was talking to us, and we are just striked up conversation. And he starts talking to us about a lot of things. And we asked him, hey, like, so, like, what are your views on, like, God? What are your views on religion? He goes, well, I was raised, you know, Southern Baptist and and all this stuff, and they really tried to get the scripture into me and all this stuff, and I could tell the way he was talking. I was like, I was just feeling the church hurt. I was just feeling how much people misrepresented Christ and weaponized scripture at him and yelled at him and made him feel dumb in all these ways. And he was telling me about this, and he was saying, well, I'm identifying as an atheist now, and I feel kind of confident inside who I am as an atheist. I think I finally watched enough you know, atheist TED Talks or watch enough YouTube on, on atheism where I think it, it makes sense now and I can do it. And by the way, you see how we're talking about the earlier? It wasn't, oh, I found the evidence and now I'm an atheist. It's, it's the church hurt me. People misre- misrepresented Christ. Now I need to find a way to justify myself and my actions. And that's how it used atheism. Well, he was just talking to us and talking to us and we're just loving him and and, you know, in ways that he was just like, well, this isn't true. And we are like, well, Scripture says this, but, yeah, keep going. Well, we'll, you know, love him. We'll strike up a conversation, talk with him. We'll let him speak. And he stopped multiple times because he was a southern, southern guy. We're down. This is when we're down in, um, in Florida. And he was just like, you know what? You guys are just some of the nicest people that I've ever talked to. I've never been able to talk to anyone about these things, about, you know, this atheistic belief. And I just feel like I can finally get it off my chest. I can finally bring it to the light. And guess what? When you bring things to the light, the Lord can start working in them, whether those are good or whether those are bad. And so when he was bringing it to the light, I was like, yes, let me get to, let me get to share the Lord with him. And so he was telling me these things, and I was just telling him facts about Scripture and how, like, okay, well, you know, Jesus was a historical, like, real person. He was like, I didn't know these things and all this stuff. And we are just having a good conversation. But multiple times within a conversation, he was just like, you guys are just awesome. I just love being able to get to talk to you. And not one point did I say, well, you're going to hell if, if you don't believe in Jesus, so you better believe in Jesus because he's already got enough church hurt. He doesn't need, need to hear that, nor do we have the right to judge in that way. And so we're talking. We're getting to the end of our conversation. We're about to, like, exchange social media. I was like, hey, if you have any questions about Jesus, I want you to be able to message me and all this stuff. And we're talking, and before we could exchange social media or anything like that, he was saying, well... I just, don't, I just don't believe in these miracle things. Like, I just, it doesn't make sense that some guy could raise from the dead 2,000 years ago. I don't believe that there is a God, and I definitely don't believe that he talks to us. And as he was saying that, guess what the Lord was doing? Speaking to us about him. <laughs> and so my fiancé looks at him and he goes, so you don't believe that you can hear the voice of the Lord? Or you don't believe that the Lord speaks to anyone? And he goes, no. And, you know, keep in mind this whole time, he was, like, really nice in a lot of ways. And that opened his heart to just be able to talk to him. But then, you know, the fruits opened the door for 
the gifts for the power of Christ to be shown. And so my fiance said, so you don't believe that the Lord will talk to us? And he says, no, it's no way, it's not possible. But the Lord was saying to Ashton, my fiance was saying, he has a son. He's five years old. His name's Keegan. And so Ashton said, well, if the Lord doesn't speak to, speak to us anymore, if, if that's not real, why did the Lord tell me that you have a son named Keegan who's five years old? And that convicted his heart so much that he burst out in anger. <laughs> it wasn't the best outcome. It wasn't the best outcome at all. But he burst out in anger and says, how dare you try to use prophecy on me? Look me up on Facebook or whatever you're doing. I know what you're doing is a sham, is a lie, because he probably thought that we did exchange social media, but he probably later found out that we didn't. We had no idea who he was. We had no idea what his Facebook was, definitely. We didn't even get his full name. And so he storms off in a rage. Completely nice guy, but he storms off in a rage. Why? Because he opened his heart to the kindness, to the fruits, to the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit convicted him inside a way that's going to stick. <laughs> and so, yes, it's not the ideal, you know, oh, yeah, well, this is this, and boom, leads you to the Lord. But imagine if we just walked up to him and said, hey, what's your name? Hey, well, you're going to hell if you don't believe this. Want to know how I'm right? We have a son named Keegan. He would just get more angry, and you'll get more upset, and he'll just be like, what are you doing? And storms off and never going to want to hear about Jesus again. But because approached them with the fruits, with kindness, with love, he opened up his heart to receive, which left room for the gifts to activate, and that's where the conviction was leading and guiding him the whole time. Because one of my biggest fears is that someone doesn't want to have a relationship with Christ because of the way that I act. That's my biggest fear is by misrepresenting Christ, leading someone into denial of Christ. Our desire should be to represent Christ in a way, in deed and in truth, that in every word that we speak, in every action that we, we do, in every way that we move, people want to understand, why are they so loving? Why are they so kind? What's this Jesus that they talk about? I want to know more. I want to know more. And that's how we should represent Christ. And before we close in prayer, could someone go get the, the kids inside the kids' church because we're going to have them come up and um, do some prayer. Ross, would you be able to? Thank you. And so that should be our heart, that we want to walk inside the fruits. We want to walk in such relationship with Christ that we start representing him in every single way, to be loving, to be kind, never to be judging, but to be loving and to represent a kindness that leads them to repentance. So let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you, Lord, for your grace. That no man can boast about their salvation. No man can boast about their works because it is, it, it is by grace we are saved. So Lord, let us just have that on our hearts. Let us just walk inside the understanding of your grace that set us free and share that with each and every person that we encounter 
in such a loving way. Never to judge their lifestyle because how dare we judge them when they don't even have the convictions of the Holy Spirit. Because outside of your grace, we would be in the same exact situation, if not worse. So Lord, convict our hearts. Help us to walk inside a way that represents you so, so well. We repent for every instance that we have been the judge when you are the one who's called to be the true judge. We repent in every single time that we have showed hatred rather than love and kindness. Lord, I just pray that you just put someone on our heart right now that we are supposed to love extra. That we are supposed to show just such a deep kindness to. That we are supposed to love on and take to church and tell them about Jesus and not judge their lifestyle. But introduce them to the Holy Spirit who will convict their hearts of those things. Because you will always do a better job at introducing yourself, Lord, than we ever could for you. Help us to represent you well. To lead people closer to Christ and never further away. It's all this that we pray. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to Gateway Church's Sermon of the Week. Make sure to follow us on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And for more information, videos, sermons, or events, check out our website at igateway.org. Thank you and have a blessed week.